Well, good morning, friends. Good morning. Um, so I'm Reagan Gilliland, pastor of adult discipleship here at Christ United Methodist, and I'm so thrilled to be here in modern worship. Uh, it's been a while, and I'm excited to be with you um, in a, f- a few weeks, not to put the pressure on you, Stephanie, that you're having a baby very soon, um, but I'm excited to be with you um, in January or February sometime. It's fine. I, it's on my calendar, I promise. Um, so we are in the third week of our Advent study, uh, Heavenly Peace, and normally I try to open up with some uh, funny story or illustration, but I'm actually going to get right into the scripture this morning, um, and then we'll go from there. So uh, we are continuing in the Gospel of Matthew, and today we'll be reading chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, and then we're going to skip a little and read um, 19 through 23. Um, There is one name in here that is a little hard, so I'm going to try to not butcher it. Um, The staff loves when I have hard names to say in Scripture. Uh, It's always a a gamble if I'm actually going to pronounce it right, but here we go. So the Magi um, have just left. They have um, just visited Jesus and the family. Jesus at this time is not a baby necessarily, but probably more of a toddler. Um, So this is where we are in the story. Now, after they had left, the Magi... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt I have called my son. Now we're going to skip a little bit of head, which... You'll understand why later. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. So Joseph keeps getting dreams. This is, if we're keeping track, this is like his third dream. And the angel said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this part of the story, I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem too joyful or too hopeful You know, we're in this season, we're supposed to be celebrating this arrival of God, this long-awaited Messiah, and we're faced with this story that kind of makes us feel, well, a little confused. I mean, is this what the people have been waiting for? If you read in the the bulletin, today's sermon is called The Promise, and when I read this, I have to question what kind of promise this is. Because, you know, this promise had been given to the Israelites— about this great king who would rule forever, that this, king, this king's kingdom would be never-ending, this promise of a king would be uh, bring good news to the oppressed and bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and release the prisoners. This king would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, that he would uphold this throne with, with justice and righteousness, that he would have all this authority. And what we're reading today doesn't seem like, well, that's not going to accomplish that. Like, first of all, it's a baby, a a toddler you sent to us. So, like, 
In between potty training and tantrums, he's going to give liberty to the captives and release the prisoners. Okay, I'd like to see that. And then there's Mary and Joseph, and, and we think, okay, Mary Joseph, you've got this, this king. I mean, it's a child, but like you're heading in the wrong direction. Like Rome is that way. That's where the power is. Like that's where you need to go. Like maybe don't abandon us and go to a foreign land. Okay, so now you're going. Like are you, are you going to come back or are you going to stay in Egypt? And so I wonder people that are reading this for the first time or the ones that heard it for the first time, they probably thought, gosh, God does not know how to keep a promise because this does not seem like this is how the story is supposed to go. But when we look at this fuller story from the beginning, perhaps we do see that God knows what God is doing and that God is continually fulfilling the promise. See, when I think back through scripture, I think about Adam and Eve when they were, they were kicked out of the garden. God did not abandon them. God was with, with Noah and his family. God was with Abraham and, and Sarah when they went to a new place. God was with them. God was with Moses. God was with the Israelites. God um, was with Joshua. Then God was with so many people after that and so many kings. Some, not some of them were not great kings. Um, And then there was the prophets, and God was like, look, I'm with you. I'm with you. And when it comes to this prophecy of the Savior, the Messiah, the focus really was that God was coming to rescue and to heal and redeem and save. And so this promise is slow, terribly, sometimes painfully slow. But from these few verses we read, I I still see God living up to his promise. So we know that Jesus was not born in a palace or some prominent city or a nice cozy inn. Rather, he was born in a stable, a barn, someplace out back that was smelly and that was dirty. And when I think about places that are smelly or dirty or places that we like to kind of set aside, I think of places like prisons or maybe places under bridges or overpasses. Rather than being born into this place that is grand, Jesus begins his story in a place that many would deem less than, maybe even an embarrassment. There's something powerful about Jesus being born in a place which proved that God was not above or too good to be among the places that we like to ignore. Somehow I feel like Christ redeems this place, or maybe what it symbolizes, and now this place has become holy. And so the promise is that God continues to see all and be in places, even by our standards or our, our perspectives, that we think are repulsive. And then there's this escape to Egypt, and there's a lot going on in this part. I don't know if you knew this, but Egypt, Egypt and the Israelites had a complicated relationship. It wasn't really looked at as this wonderful place. Now, while Joseph was there, not Mary and Joseph, but Donnie Osmond Joseph, he brought his family to Egypt during the famine, and that was good. That was a, that was a good time. Then after Joseph died, we know that um, Pharaoh's raised up, and then the Israelites are in bondage. They're in slavery, and they were like that for generations 
for generations. And so this place, Egypt, was not a place that was viewed as a place of refuge, but of a, uh, it was a, pa- a place of pain, of suffering and slavery. And they waited generations to be freed. And now we see this Messiah going back to Egypt. Like I said, a lot going on. But the fact that Jesus needs to escape in order to find protection speaks to his humanity. That he wasn't exempt from danger or suffering. That Jesus needed to be rescued. He relates and understands what it is to need to find comfort and peace and safety. He also understands what it means to be someone that is a foreigner in a a place and to feel like he doesn't belong He understands what it means to be seeking protection um, from the home country because there's violence and danger. And this, um, if if you're paying attention, one verse it's talked about. There's a uh, in the book of Hosea, it talked about out of Egypt my son will come, and and the son was Israelites as a people, but now this is the son Jesus, the Messiah. And so, in a way, I think Christ kind of redeems Egypt in this way. And then we find that it's time to return, but the Holy Family ends up going to the Galilee area, which if you go there now, of course, it's this beautiful and and holy place. But then it wasn't really that great of an area. Galilee, in my notes, uh, was commonly known as the Galilee of the Gentiles. Though once a part of the northern kingdom of Israel, the land had never really been recovered since its fall to the Assyrians. And it was now widely populated with foreigners. The Jews in Judea considered the Galilean Jews only a step above Samaritans. Samaritans were not valued. They were looked down upon. We know that from um, Jesus interacting with people. And so we think, so this Messiah, this long-awaited king is going to be raised among those kinds of Jews? I mean, they're Jewish, but I mean, they're... I feel like there are better places to settle. And then you think, well, at least, at least he won't be in some place like Nazareth. And then you read, and like, wait, Nazareth is where he's going to grow up? Okay, so Nazareth, this tiny little agricultural village with a population of about 500 people, was so insignificant that at one time, historians and archaeologists denied that such a place had ever existed. Now, Stephanie and I, I know we've both been there. We can attest that it actually is a real place. It it, it does exist. But all of this, it doesn't quite make sense. All the characters, all the places are just not what we would choose. In the time and the circumstances, you've got this king who is this, this tyrant who is completely unhinged. There's a reason I didn't uh, read those middle verses. It's not a story you read on Christmas morning with your family. Um, not, not really a joyful time. But we think, gosh, it's such a dark place in history. So much suffering, so much chaos, so much pain, so much fear, so much worry. Why now? Why come at this time? Surely there was a better time, God. But I love that in, in Matthew, that Matthew does not sanitize this story to make it more joyful or like this perfect uncomplicated birth. I think all too often we make this story something that it wasn't. 
it wasn't completely joyful, fancy free, let's break out to a musical song number. I think we lose its significance and the profound power of this story when we try to clean it up. There was so much fear and worry and concern and danger at this time. And for many of us, our lives are not perfect either. Our lives are full of worry and fear and concern and danger. I don't have to tell you that some days feel incredibly dark and these days are hard. And so Christ came to show us God's love and promise that God doesn't move away when things are too hard, but rather moves toward us, that God comes to us. The promise of I'm going to be with you is evident and clear in the way that Christ was born into this very unglamorous life. I'm going to be with you even in the worst of the worst. And so I find that between Bethlehem and Egypt and Nazareth, God is telling us something. The promise of God of doing something new, a new thing is real. God does something different and amazing by beginning his journey on earth in these places. From that smelly manger to Egypt to Nazareth, God is saying, I'm willing to go anywhere and everywhere. I'm not going to leave you. I am with you. There are so many familiar texts from the Old Testament. You could even think about Psalm 23 that talks about God being with us. And so this birth is showing that God is trustworthy. When God says, I'm going to be with you, these promises are something you can cling to. I believe in that. And so I actually wanted to read um, just a little bit from Isaiah 43, which is um, one of my favorite passages. I would encourage you to go home and read the whole thing later today. But listen to the, the words when it talks about who God is. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my son from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, says the Lord. I am God, and also henceforth I am he. There is no one who can deliver work from a hand. I work, and who can hinder it? There's so much more in that, but I read that, and I think, yeah, God does all of that. However, love when pastors say that, God just doesn't come in and fix everything and change everything overnight. If you're familiar with the opening of Matthew, you know there's this genealogy, and it's listed. There's name after name after name that came before Jesus, and each name represents a story that had complications and detours and pain and suffering. 
But in each story, God was there. God was always there. And when Christ was born, did everything immediately get better? No. Again, you can go back and read the verses I didn't read in the today's story, and you would say, nope, things were not great. I think, but God was there. And so what God was saying through coming to us through the person of Jesus Christ is a promise to be with us. And for the Jewish people, they just couldn't shake that promise that God had been telling them generations for. They continued to believe even in the slowness of it, the confusion of it, the doubts that most likely plagued their prayers. And for us, we can relate because it can be so tempting to throw the talent and give up. It can be tempting to walk away and not trust God and say that these promises, they're not true. But when we zoom out of this story and look from the beginning to the birth of Christ and even beyond, I hope we can say, gosh, the promise of God's faithfulness and kindness and steady presence with us is true. Yes, this part of Jesus' early life is scary. There's suffering and there is danger, but it's also a testament to who God is, a God that is with us. A God that is over there and over here and with those people and and these people and and that place and in this place and with me and with you. This promise for a lot of history didn't make sense. Didn't make sense. But I pray today that even in our questions, our doubts, our worries, and our fears, we would read this story And know that the promise of God to us and the person of Jesus Christ is absolutely true. Amen.